We are in a series called Unshakable, as we've already kind of prefaced a little bit. If you got your Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be in Hebrews 11 primarily today, um, but I want to give you a little bit of foundation. I didn't get a ton of time to do this last week because last week we were celebrating our vacation Bible school, our kids who went through Ready, Set, Move, and so we had some extra moving parts. So I got a little more time today, uh, and I want to give you a little more understanding of where we're going. Um, already read this passage from Hebrews 12, but I want to bring it to you uh, one more time to lay this foundation. It says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. So this is all the stuff we're building up to. If you're not familiar in the series, we're reading Hebrews 11 and 12, verse by verse. So we're building towards this. This is where it will climax. This is actually the last section of the, the chapters we're studying. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. I don't know about you, but sometimes I got to remember to be thankful. Uh, so sometimes my default in my Americanist, Americanism, in my, my consumerism, sometimes my default is to be frustrated over what I don't have rather than thanking God for what I do have. Uh, this past week, our, our AC went out, and we knew it was going to go out, but it went like out, out. Uh, and we had to replace the coil and the condenser and the furnace, and it was a, a big project. Um, it was 83 degrees in the house for a number of days uh, before we finally got it up and running. Um, and, and there were some times where my heart was not especially grateful. If I'm being honest, right? There were some times where, where my entitlement uh, rose up and I felt like, you know, why, why would you let this happen to me? You know, why do I have to go through this? Um, and, and it's good to remember, man, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God's kingdom is not thrown because my air conditioner goes out, right? His glory does not diminish because I have to experience some discomfort that many people across the planet have to live in every day, and I've got to deal with it for five days, right? That doesn't throw off God's kingdom. It says, no, let us be thankful, and let that gratitude, that thankfulness lead us into worship. And so worship God acceptably. In other words, in the way that, that is worthy of him, uh, with reverence and with awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And, and Hunter kind of already illustrated that for us, this consuming fire that God is uh, in the Old Testament. We see that. So what is the point of this series? Where are we going? What are we trying to build? I don't know what things are shaking your world, shaking your family, what, what circumstances you may be going through. Those could be financial circumstances. Those could be family drama or marriage issues. Those could be a personal spiritual struggle, a habit, an addiction that, that you're really having a hard time shaking off or a temptation that keeps rising back up. There's all kinds of stuff that can come and shake our faith. We, we heard a number of them yesterday at church prayer. In fact, one, I asked one lady this morning how things are going, checked in on a situation. She says, well, you know, when the pastor starts preaching about faith, everything goes sideways, right? <laughs> like you start building people's faith. Uh, and what are we doing? We're going to see an opportunity to exercise some faith. And those opportunities to exercise faith usually don't look like the stuff we're believing God for. They're, they're usually not the things that we're excited to go through. And so there's challenges and there's struggles, and that's life. We all face these. But how do we have this faith that's unshakable in the midst of it? Well, the only way to have a faith that's unshakable is to understand how unshakable our God is. See, because the world is going to shake. 
Our lives are going to shake. Our bank accounts are going to shake. Our circumstances are going to shake. Our job security is going to shake. Our family relationships and our friendships, our ministry opportunities, all that stuff is going to shake because it's temporary. It's not eternal. But we have a God who does not shake. And so I, I came across this quote, and this quote just kind of revolutionized my thinking, man. It fired me up. I want to empower you with this. We're probably going to read this every week just to, to, to drive this home. I think this sums it up. It says this. It's from James Bryan Smith. He says, I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. It's a cool statement. Christ dwells in me, but he doesn't just dwell in me. He delights in me. In other words, he's not a reluctant roommate, right? He's not, he's not with me just because he doesn't have somewhere better to be. He's with me because he wants to be with me, because he delights in me. His desire is for me. He says, I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. That's where I live. That's spiritually, that is my home. That's my eternal destiny. I'm in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. And then it says this, and I think every Christian needs to just deposit this in our spiritual DNA. We need to grab a hold of this and hold on to it through whatever shaking comes in our future. And that is this, the kingdom of God is not in trouble. Can we say amen to that? The kingdom is not in trouble. We, we, we might see something on the news. We might see a new thing that pops up in the culture. We might see something out there, and it's like, oh, man, man, this is it. The end is near. Jesus is coming back, right? Like, we might freak out because of something we see out there, but understand this. Jesus ain't freaking out. He's not. He's unshakable. He knew it was coming. He had his plan. He puts you in this generation knowing what would have happened in this generation, and he's not freaking out. He is at peace and at rest because he knows the way the story ends. So the kingdom of God is not in trouble. Praise God. We serve a kingdom that's not in trouble. We serve a kingdom that is growing, not shrinking. We serve a kingdom that is expanding, not dissolving. We serve a kingdom that is victorious, not going to lose. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're going through this week. I don't, I don't know what pain, what discouragement, what challenge, what temptation you're facing. But I need you to know if you're a believer in Jesus, if the Holy Spirit rests on you, if he lives in you, you are not in trouble. The kingdom is not in trouble. It may look like it. Your circumstances may add up to trouble. The medical diagnosis may sound like trouble. Man, the relationship status may feel a little shaky. But you are not in trouble and neither is the kingdom of God. Here's how badly I want us to get this. We're going to go, we're going to go old school, go elementary. I'm going to have you stand up. We're going to say this quote together. We're just going to speak this. Say what? Say what? Come on, there we go. Um, we're we're going to say this out loud together. You're going to confess this over our lives as believers in Jesus, as participants in the kingdom of God. Will you read this with me? I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Come on. All right. You can have a seat. I believe it is possible for us to have a faith that's truly unshakable. 
that, that, that truly can outlast whatever struggle, can push through whatever persecution, can survive whatever frustration, discouragement, sickness, disease, economic collapse, anything the world can bring at us. I believe we can have that kind of faith. And I believe the author of Hebrews believed it. If you remember with us last week, we talked about why the book of Hebrews was written, why this is so important, why this is a central theme in this text. It was written not just to Jews specifically, but to a certain subset of Jews, the people who were priests, who were actually responsible for leading the Jews religiously, uh, who now had revival and started coming to Jesus in droves. There's this big revival amongst the priestly class in Jerusalem and Israel, and these people are giving their heart to Jesus, and they're following Jesus, and then it gets tough. And then it gets difficult, and then persecution starts to rise up. Then the other priests start questioning their loyalties. Then the other Jews start accusing them of, of betrayal, of abandoning their roots, abandoning who they are. Things start getting difficult, and so some of these priests start returning back to their Judaism. They start denying Jesus, and there's this temptation amongst this group who had all come to Jesus to say, you know what? Uh, that was just a phase. That was just a fad. That was just a momentary thing for us. But this is really what we're called to. This is really who we are. And so the author of Hebrews writes to them, calling them to find this faith that's unshakable. Telling them why and reminding them everything they already know about the Messiah. Everything they already know that had been prophesied and pointed to in Jesus and how he ultimately is the solution to everything that they desire. So last week we saw seven attributes of an unshakable faith as we read through Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 12, this first part of the, the hall of faith. Today we're going to read verses 13 through 31, so a little bit more. We're going to do another seven attributes of an unshakable faith. This is uh, the, the crux of, of this passage, this chapter that's really well known, this chapter that's really famous on faith. Uh, it, it goes through all these Old Testament saints, these Old Testament men and women, and points to their faith as an example for our faith, that, man, we can have faith like them. So last week, we looked at, at people like Noah and Enoch. Uh, we looked at people like Abel, Abraham, Sarah. We saw all these people as examples. Today, we'll see a few other examples that can help us build our faith. We're going to start in verse 13 in chapter 11. Verse 13 says this, says all these people that we just read about, including Isaac and Jacob and all these people we talked about, um, they were still living by faith when they died. And listen to this. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. What is that saying? Did God let them down? Did God deceive them? No. God's promises to them were all fulfilled. They just weren't all fulfilled on earth in their lifetime. See, what were they looking forward to? They were looking... Got to not do that. Uh, they were looking forward to Jesus. They were looking forward to, to the Messiah, to the Savior. They were promised the Savior, and the Savior did come. God kept all of his promises to them. But for most of them, it wasn't in their lifetime. 
What is that? That's faith. That's faith to trust for something that you're not going to see with your own eyes. To trust for something that you're not going to experience before you take your last breath here on earth. Now, for us, it's a little different because we don't look forward to Jesus. We get to look backwards to Jesus, but we still look forward to Jesus. Right? We have a faith for something that Jesus is going to do for us, for something that he is going to bring that is my iPad who decided to start making noise. I am so sorry. Technical difficulties all over the place today. Let's uh, kill the volume on that. I don't even know what Siri just brought up for me or what I said that triggered her. Uh, but somehow she decided to start playing some music. Uh, <laughs> wow. Hallelujah. Uh, unshakable. Hallelujah. Uh, they had faith to look forward to Jesus. We're called to have faith to look backwards to Jesus and to look forward to Jesus. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. In other words, what's he saying to these Jewish Hebrews? He's saying, ultimately, Israel isn't your country. Ultimately, this isn't your home. You've got something better. I think for us as Americans, we can wrap up our identity in red, white, and blue and wrap up our identity in being American. And I'm grateful to be an American. And I, and I think that this is a great country and there's a lot of great things about this place. But if America ended tomorrow, if our government cratered, if we were invaded and overtaken, I still have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. My hope is not in the Constitution. My hope is not in a president. My hope is not in who happens to sit in office. My hope is in Jesus Christ. And so I understand I am a foreigner and a stranger here on earth. The kingdom we have is better. I don't care how great you think America is. The kingdom that Jesus leads is better. It's greater and it's eternal. America is not eternal. It's not promised to always be here. But the kingdom we're a part of is. It says, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God's preparing a city for us. He's got a place for us, not just a temporary place, not just a good place, a great place, an eternal place, a flawless place that he is preparing for us. So the first attribute of unshakable faith we'll look at today is that unshakable faith recognizes that there is something better to come. If, if your faith is going to be unshakable, your faith can't be in the circumstances around you. Hey, I've, I've got a great retirement plan. I've got an awesome family. Man, we're healthy. We're, we're, all these things are lined up. If your faith is in your circumstances, if your faith is in today, there's a great invitation for the enemy to come and steal that faith. Because there's a bad diagnosis coming. There's a car accident coming. There's something that's going to happen. It's just life. It's the reality of the broken world that we live in. My faith can't be in this. My faith can't be in City Church. I love this church. I'm grateful for this church. There's no guarantee that this church is going to last forever. In fact, there's a guarantee that this church won't. There's a day that this church will end. So my faith has to be in something beyond city church. My faith has got to be in a kingdom bigger than city church, in a name greater than city church. And you can insert that into whatever corporation you work for, into whatever family you're a part of, in whatever neighborhood or subdivision or HOA, right? Like my faith can't be in that. 
It's in something greater. And so if your faith is going to be unshakable, you got to recognize there's something better to come. That the things that I'm experiencing now aren't really the reality of, of the vast majority of my life. That the things on this earth are just a blip, just a period on a page. And a much larger picture of what God has for me. These men and women in Hebrews 11 understood that, that the circumstances of their life, the good and the bad, didn't define them. But there was something far better to come. Verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham. So we go back to Abraham. When God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, foreshadowing God, sacrificing his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. I love so much about this. Abraham had a promise from God, and he had a command from God, and the command from God seemed to contradict the promise from God. And Abraham trusted to walk out and obey the command from God, knowing that God would be faithful to fulfill his promise. He didn't know how. He didn't understand how it was going to work. In fact, it says here in Hebrews that he actually thought he was going to have to take his son's life but that God was going to raise his son back to life if it came to that, that God's promise for Isaac was going to be true whether the circumstances said it or not. And so his obedience brought blessing, right? No, he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. God didn't let him do that. He was never going to let him do that. But Abraham didn't know that. Abraham was faithful to the command even when the command seemed to contradict the promise. He trusted that the promise would find its way to come through unshakable faith, believes in the resurrection. Ultimately, this is what unshakable faith comes from. I think the resurrection of Jesus is the pivot that the whole faith hangs on. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, then there's no point in what we're doing today. Then we are wasting our time. We could be getting some sleep. We could be at the lake. We could be out camping. We could be doing a million other better things if there's no resurrection of Jesus. But if Jesus truly raised from the dead, then it changes everything. We're resurrection people. We're people who believe in a resurrection, who believe that death is not the end. Death is not the final sentence. Death is not the final word. It's simply a point in time in a bigger picture. The resurrection is what it all hinges on. Why do I believe in Christianity? Some people ask me that, and they're going to bring me questions, and, and there's all kinds of questions out there. How can a good God allow suffering, and how can this happen, and how can this happen? And, and ultimately, for me, the reason why I believe in this book, why I believe this book could be handed down as the word of God, that this is not just the words of men who happen to write down some opinions or some perspectives, but it's actually God's word. I believe that because I believe in the resurrection. The resurrection is the evidence, it is the proof for me, and I believe the resurrection is historically viable. I believe when you study history, I think it's almost impossible to deny the resurrection because of the way the world turned on its axis after the resurrection. The people who saw it acted in such a way that you would never act unless you actually saw somebody come back from the dead. And I don't have time to go into all that right now, but, but we are people of the resurrection. And so stand on the resurrection. Jesus is alive. My God's not dead. He is surely alive. 
But he's not just alive in heaven. He's alive in me. That's what builds an unshakable faith is when we understand that Jesus conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered shame. He conquered sickness and disease, and he conquered it for me. That gives me an unshakable faith. Moving forward, verse 20, we're going to go from Abraham to his son Isaac, the one who nearly was sacrificed. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regards to their future. Isaac is this son of Abraham who has these twins, Jacob and Esau, and he pronounces a blessing over them. And in our culture, in our day and age, we often think of blessing as just like physical stuff, right? I got this great blessing. I got this check in the mail I wasn't expecting. I got this great blessing. My, my boss finally gave me that raise that I've been believing God for, right? But, but in the Old Testament, in the, the Jewish culture, a blesser wasn't so much about the physical. A blessing was about something that was spoken. They believed that life and death was in the power of the tongue, And so Jacob calls his sons in, and he speaks a blessing over their future. In other words, Jacob wasn't going to be around to see it. Jacob was going into the grave. Jacob was not going to be here, but he spoke something over their lives. And if you go back and read the blessings of Jacob and Esau, the things that he spoke over his sons came to pass. He prophesied, spoke it into existence over his sons. Why? Because he had faith that God would use his tongue, that that he had faith that what God had placed in his heart for his sons is actually what would come to pass. And he spoke a blessing over them. I think we underestimate the power of the things that we say. Right? I'm not a guy who thinks that, man, you can just go out and manifest a Lamborghini and God's going to give me a Lamborghini and boom, there's a Lamborghini. Okay? Like, I think you can take those things to ridiculous places and we know that those things don't happen. But I also believe that the Bible says that the tongue is like the rudder of a ship. What's a rudder do? A rudder determines the direction. And so the things that I say by faith, am I going to speak out of faith or am I going to speak out of fear? Am I going to speak out of faith or am I going to speak out of doubt? Am I going to speak out of faith or am I going to speak out of frustration? Because the tongue is the rudder of the ship. And by faith, we can actually speak blessing to the next generation. We can speak blessing into the lives of the people around us. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Talks about the blessing again. So now it's Jacob who speaks a blessing over Joseph, his valued son over Joseph's sons, which were Ephraim and Manasseh, two sons. He worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Joseph had faith that even though they were in Egypt and they were going to be in Egypt for another almost 400 years, that Egypt was not the final destination for the Israelite people. He had faith that God was going to take his people back to the promised land. And so he gave instructions, don't bury me here, take me home. Bury me in the homeland. He had faith. 400 years is a long time, okay? 400 years, that goes way back. If you go back 400 years, the United States doesn't exist for another 150 years. We're we're, we're right at 250 years old. That's a long ways back in history. But Joseph had faith that God was going to be faithful to his promise and bring his people back to the promised land, and he did. 23, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid 
of the king's edict. The king's edict, you're probably familiar. The pharaoh said, hey, we're going to kill every baby boy born to the Jews because they're too multiplying. They're, they're too numerous. Uh, there's too many of them. Most scholars believe there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 million Jews uh, in, in Egypt that they had just, God had prospered them. They were fruitful, and they had gone from this, this small tribe, there's less than 100 people who had moved to Egypt in, in 400 years, they multiplied to over 2 million. And Pharaoh got scared of them. He said, okay, we're going to start taking out the boys. Keep the girls, but we're going to start taking out the boys. Uh, and that's, what, that's the world Moses was born into. You know, the greatest heroes of faith, the people who God used in the biggest ways, often came into the worst situations. Often came into the darkest moments. If you want a faith that transcends a generation, if you want a faith that that is worth telling stories about, you're going to live in some dark moments. You're going to be surrounded by a world that seems evil, that seems like it's falling apart, that seems that it's so destructive. And yet, even in that world, Moses' parents had faith to hide and protect a baby boy for three months. You think something about babies, they make noise, right? Like, like, like for three months, they kept this baby hidden from the Egyptians. Somehow, some way, they figured it out, and they didn't even have duct tape back then. I don't know what they did, but they found a way to protect this boy for three months and finally got to the point where they said, we can't do it anymore. And they had the faith to place their child in a basket on a crocodile-infested river that God was going to see him through, and he did. Unshakable faith does not settle in fear. They chose not to be afraid of the king's edict. What did they do by hiding their child? They risked their own lives. They chose the future generation above themselves. They laid their own life on the line because they knew there was something in this child God had given them. I believe whether you have kids, whether you're a parent, whether you've got another generation directly in your home or not, I believe this is this is Jesus to be looking out for the next generation, to be, to be sacrificing today for the people coming behind us that we're called to do exactly that. And praise God, Moses' parents did. They had that kind of faith. By faith, verse 24, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If you don't remember the story, Moses gets adopted. The princess, the daughter of the Pharaoh, actually finds him out in the Nile River, and she decides, hey, this is a cute baby. And I'm the princess. I ain't got nothing better to do. Why don't I just raise this kid? And so she raises Moses, this Israelite, in Pharaoh's house. He's raised as a prince. He goes from from a slave, goes from oppression into opulence. He's given everything. He's given power. He's given authority. He's got people bowing down before him. He's got people serving him. He has everything. And yet as he grows up and comes to grips with his own identity, he chooses, you know what? I'm going to leave behind being a prince of Egypt, and I'm going to go and be a slave with my people. He chose, look at verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pressures of sin. If there's a verse that speaks to a generation that perhaps may suffer some persecution, 
If there's a verse that encourages God's people that it's okay if the world is against us, that it's okay if, if there's some pressure. And, and let me say this too. I think sometimes we have like this persecution complex as Christians and we think we're so oppressed and we have it so rough. And if we look at, at the global perspective, we have it crazy good in America. We have it so, so good. So the fact that like one person didn't like your Facebook post or, or, or one person at work made a snarky comment because you prayed over your lunch, that, that's not persecution, okay? P persecution is your life on the line. Persecution is I could literally take my last breath because I chose to follow Jesus, but I'm following Jesus anyway. Moses chose to be mistreated with God's people rather than to enjoy all the fleeting temporary pleasures of life that were at his feet. Egypt was the greatest empire on earth, the most powerful nation that existed. He had it all, but he said, no, I would much rather be with God's people than enjoy the pleasures of this world. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. He understood that there's something better to come. There's something worth it to experience some persecution in this world. Unshakable faith chooses hard things. Please don't misunderstand. If you're going to have an unshakable faith, it doesn't mean that life's going to come easy. Sometimes we, we have this perspective that, man, if, if we're just close enough to God, if we're honoring him well enough, then, man, everything's going to come together. And that's not scripture. That's not the promise of Jesus. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. I don't know about you. I don't like being hated. I like to be liked. I like it when people are for me, not against me. But Jesus says, look, there's going to be times when it isn't all roses, when it isn't all easy, and that's not necessarily a sign that there's something wrong with your walk with God. It might actually be a sign there's something right with it. Sometimes we're going to have to make some hard choices. Sometimes we have to choose some hard things. Sometimes we have to realize, you know what, this job may pay more, but I'm going to have to violate my ethics and my conscience in order to, to, to make these claims that I'm supposed to make as a salesman, and I understand I can't do that. This job may have some great benefits, but it causes me to take some stances and, and celebrate some values that aren't my values, and so I'm going to choose to have something else. This job may, may, may provide for my family, but it keeps me out of taking my family to church and getting them in God's presence, and I'm going to choose that and maybe a little bit less because I understand there's an eternal reward in bringing my family up to follow Jesus, right? Sometimes we're going to have to make some hard choices. It's not just jobs. It's friendships. It's relationships. It's, it's all those things, but unshakable faith chooses hard things. Not hard things because they're hard, but hard things because they're good when they're good. Verse 27, by faith, he, he being Moses, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Again, it's not going to stop in fear. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What is that saying? You know, Moses actually laid eyes on God. He asked God, I want to see you. He said, I want to see your face. And God said, you can't see my face. If you saw my face, you would just collapse. But he said, go hide in the rock, and I'll pass by, and I'll let you see my backside. Uh, and so Moses saw God's backside, and I don't know what that was like. Uh, I imagine it was a pretty incredible experience, uh, not something that most people get to see, but he actually saw God, not Jesus, 
God the Father, he saw God pass by, so he saw the one who is invisible. That's a pretty big statement. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Unshakable faith moves when God moves. You ever thought about the faith that it took to walk through the Red Sea on dry land? You got a wall of water over here. You got a wall of water over here. This is, this is seawater. It's connected to the ocean. I don't know what they're seeing. I don't know if there's like sharks gathering over here or crocs gathering over here. But I guarantee you it took some faith to step out there trusting. When you can't see the other end of it. This was not like you're walking through a puddle, right? This wasn't even walking across the Mississippi River on dry land. This was the Red Sea. They didn't see the other end. All they saw was a wall of water as far as they could see on this side, as far as they could see on this side. And they stepped out trusting that that water was going to stay where it was at. Unshakable faith moves when God moves. See, I'm sure there were some Israelites that were like, hey, God, if you can do this, why can't you just take us to the other side of the Red Sea? Right? Why can't, why can't you just teleport us? Why can't we just show up on the other end and we're safe? And I don't got to get my steps in, uh, and I don't got to worry about what happens. Like, am I going to be able to swim? What's going to happen? Two million people walk across on dry land trusting with every step. As they're surrounded by water on either side, they got people behind them, people in front of them. They got nowhere to go if that water starts to cave. Every single step was a step of faith. So often we want God to take us to the end, but he invites us to the step. God, why don't you move? He says, why don't you move? I'm already moving. I'm already acting on your behalf. I'm already providing. Are you going to take the step that I've ordered you to take? Are you going to have faith that in the midst of the step when you can't see anything but destruction on either side that I'm going to see you through? Unshakable faith moves when God moves. And then, oh, by the way, when they got to the end, the waters came back down. And the enemy was washed away. That very thing that was the source of their fear, the water on either side of them, was actually the source of their freedom. I wonder what fear, what we're afraid of right now that God wants to use for your freedom. I wonder what situation that seems so intimidating, that seems so impossible, that seems so unpassable. And God says, if you'll trust me and be faithful to the step, I'm actually going to use that thing you're afraid of, and I'm going to bring your freedom through it. I wasn't even in my notes. Praise God. That's Holy Spirit right there. Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith. The walls of Jericho, we just talked about it, right? Hunter shared about this in the offering. The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Thirteen laps around the walls, one each day for six days, then seven times on the seventh day, and the walls came crashing down. What archaeology actually has told us and discovered is it didn't fall and, and crater like we imagine, like we think of like an earthquake, and the walls start to shake, and they break off, and rubble goes in every direction, but that the earth actually opened up and the walls went down into the earth. They're fully preserved below ground. They've discovered the walls of Jericho. This is the way God did it. God just said, boom, he just snapped his fingers. 
There was a wall, now there's no wall. The walls, they fell, they came down, and the people walked in. God gave them great victory. You see, unshakable faith keeps on going. I guarantee you there were some people grumbling after day four. You sure about this, Joshua? Like, we trusted Moses, and Moses got us this far, but, you know, you're this young hotshot. You think you got it going on. I'm sure there were some, some questions about Joshua's leadership. This was very early, and Joshua taking the reins. God had not bred any great victory through Joshua yet. And there were some people questioning probably by day six, probably by lap five on day seven. What are we doing? Like, we just got here in the sun. We're just walking around, running circles. Like, what, what is this all about? Are we going to be, are we going to stand up and fight or not? Are we just going to be these cowards and march around? But they were faithful to God's command by faith. They didn't know how it was going to work. God didn't promise exactly what would happen. He didn't give them all the details. If you walk around the city seven times on day seven, here's what's going to happen. The earth's going to open up and swallow up the walls. He just said, do it. And their obedience brought their blessing. Unshakable faith keeps going. God, I don't know what you're doing. And your steps don't always make a lot of sense. And it seems like I could go that way, but you got me going this way. And it feels like I'm walking in circles. But I'm going to be faithful to the step you've called me to. Verse 31, last verse for today. Says this, says, by faith the prostitute Rahab... Because she welcomed spies, was not killed with those who are disobedient. I could do a whole sermon on Rahab, a whole series on Rahab. I love her story so much. Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, is actually in the genealogy of Jesus. She grows from a legacy of sin a legacy of seduction, a legacy of, of, of shame and discouragement to a legacy of bringing Jesus into the world. This is also a, a, another reason why I'm very confident that God doesn't have any issues with interracial relationships because Jesus wasn't just Jewish. Jesus had ancestors who came from other people, from other tribes. That's what Jesus was doing. He brings in this, this heathen, this Canaanite woman, and puts her smack in the story of redemption, smack in the story of Jesus despite her sin, despite the fact that she wasn't one of God's chosen people. He had chosen to use her. You see, unshakable faith believes for another chance. I don't know how you've messed up. I don't know how you've blown it. I don't know what your sin or your shame looks like. I know what Rahab's looks like. But when she had an opportunity to step out in faith or shrink back like everybody else, she stepped up and she put her life on the line to protect the two Hebrew spies. And because of her courage, because of her faith, because she understood in that moment, this way is right and this way is wrong. And I'm going to choose what's right no matter what the consequences or sacrifices come my way. She chose righteousness at the pivotal moment of her life. And not only did she survive because of it, but she now has a whole new legacy. She now has a whole new lane. She has a new reputation. She has a new, a new direction, a new destiny for her family because she chose righteousness and faith. I don't know who needs to believe God for another chance today. 
But I serve a God of second chances. I serve a God who loves the person who's got a broken marriage, who loves the person who's gone through divorce. I serve a God who loves the person who's gone through addiction, who's, who's suffered, who, who's committed crimes. I serve a God who has a plan and a, person, a purpose no matter what your past looks like. If you'll believe him for another chance, he'll entrust you with one. If you'll believe him that he can switch things around, that he can pivot your story on a moment's notice and you can go from shame to victory, then I serve a God who will provide that chance. Rahab, the prostitute, is commended for her faith. She's commended for her obedience. She's commended for her sacrifice. The reality is she probably made many bad choices to get to that moment. But all it took was one right choice to flip everything around. The enemy will point to all your bad choices, to all your legacy of mistakes, to all the times when you tried to get right and it didn't work. And he'll tell you why would this time be different. I'm here to tell you this time can be different. Y'all got to stay for second service, Teresa and Brandon. <laughs> Unshakable faith gets lunch later on so you can help me preach. Hallelujah. <laughs> Believes God for a second chance. See, because I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in trouble, and neither am I. Father, 